Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. You can do what you want to us, but we're not going to sit here and listen to you badmouth the United States of America. Gentlemen! This is the Weekend Answer Show. Garrett Fay, Jim Righeimer, Riggie's out. I'm holding down the fort. A ton of news to get to, including, guess what's up this last week? Not President Biden's approval ratings. Nope, rather inflation, 8.2%. Also, we learned that President Biden begged the Saudis to delay the oil cuts until after the midterm elections, and they said no. And if that wasn't bad enough, Russia and NATO are holding nuclear war drills. That's comforting. Also, the January 6th committee subpoenas President Trump. The Supreme Court decides to stay out of a dispute involving President Trump. We saw a lot of racism at the LA City Council. President Biden visits LA this last week. And then talking about a lawsuit by the ACLU against a school district in Pennsylvania trying to prevent parents from giving parental consent for gender transition. What's that about? We'll tell you that more. But starting with the national news, including inflation, keeps going up and up and up, higher than expected, 8.2%. Food prices soar. And this is really um, important for a couple of reasons. One, on a very basic level, this really hurts average Americans, hurts families. You're trying to go get some groceries, get some gas, save, maybe buy a house. Well, everything is more expensive. It's still 8.2%. It's the highest it's been in years. And this really hurts Democrats' hopes going into the midterm elections because they had hoped a couple of things. They had hoped that with gas prices going down from the summer ending, that people wouldn't be as mad at them. They're hoping that if inflation decreased, the prices of everything would come down. That's not what happened. Well, the consumer price index for all urban consumers rose 0.4% in September on a seasonally adjusted basis after rising 0.1% in August. Over the last 12 months, the All Items Index increased 8.2% before seasonal adjustment. Well, this is really bad. Now, last week, we played for you a clip from the uh, president of the Federal Reserve Bank in San Francisco, who said basically everything is getting more expensive. She talked about how your dollars are essentially worth about 90 cents. Um, According to a professor at the University of Michigan, what does this mean? Quote, inflation is proving to be more resilient and more troubling than many had hoped or forecast. Both the headline and core inflation readings are about 0.2 percentage points higher than expected. This might not sound like a lot, but over a month, it's a pretty big miss. Worse, it comes after a run of disappointing inflation readings. There's nothing in the support that folks at the Fed are going to cheer. Even as nominal wage growth remains contained, inflation continues to run at troubling rates. Remember, the Fed is focused on core rather than headline inflation, and core is a more dismal story. So what does this mean? Well, a year ago, the inflation rate was 5.4%. We're now at 8.2%. So things are heading in the wrong direction. What's that going to mean where we're at next year? I don't know, 11 12%. 
But this is basically once in a generation problem. In a National Review article, they said that this is the largest increase since 1982, largest year over year jump since 1982. And so what does all this mean? Well, economically, again, this is hard for families. What does this mean politically? Well, it's terrible for Democrats. It's really bad for Biden. So Biden goes on the speaking circuit, goes, does some media appearances, tries to say that things aren't that bad under him and that we aren't really having a recession. Uh, JJ, here's President Biden this last week, clip number one. Republican wins, inflation is going to get worse. It's that simple. Well, except it's not that simple because he passed the Inflation Reduction Act, which has had no impact on inflation, and things have only gotten worse. President Biden sat down this last week with Jake Tapper from CNN. He was asked about a recession. JJ, clip number two here. Should the American people prepare for a recession? No. Look, they've been saying this now how every, every six months they say this. Every six months, they look down the next six months and see what's going to happen. It hadn't happened yet. It hadn't. There, there has. There is no. There's no guarantee that they're going to be. I don't think there will be a recession. If it is, it'll be a very slight recession. That is, we'll move down slightly. So a recession means two straight quarters of negative GDP growth. We've already had that. We are technically in a recession. But why is the Biden administration unable to get us out? These are, there's got to be some smart people in that administration who can figure this stuff out. Well, they can't figure it out because they're focusing on the wrong things. They're focusing on things like climate change, bailing out unions, electric vehicles. President Biden tried to talk about how he's going to spend some money on climate change initiatives, but didn't quite get there. JJ, clip number four. We passed the look what I ran on. I said we're going to deal with energy. Right. And, and the energy problem, we're going to deal with the whole notion of global warming. We passed $368 billion worth of help, which, as the same bankers talk about, is going to bring a billion, a trillion, $700 million billion off the sidelines in investment. Billion, trillion, $600 million. Again, this is all just making it up. This is funny money. Um, President Biden's been very consistent, though, in what his administration has actually done. When it comes to energy, under President Trump, the United States was energy independent, meaning it was a net exporter of energy, exported more oil and gas than it imported. President Biden promptly turned that reality on its head. And then so what he's focused on. So if you shut down domestic oil drilling, if you cancel permits for pipelines, if you ban offshore drilling, if you make it impossible to get leases for those drilling situations, then this is what you have. Except then he wants to run off to Saudi Arabia and beg them to give us more oil. That doesn't make any sense. Um, And so the administration is where it is because of what its priorities are. And as Riggie says, as on immigration, the plan is working, except for average Americans don't go for this. Um, And so you think in the wake of all this, the White House and the vice president would kind of change their tune a little bit. Like, what are we going to focus on? We have a couple of weeks till the midterm elections. We don't want to get slaughtered any worse than we already are. Maybe let's hold off the red wave. Enter Vice President Kamala Harris. Here's our Kamala clip of the week. JJ clip five. But I mean, truly, when you, you know, when you see our kids and I truly believe that they are our children, they are the children of our country, of our communities. I I mean, our future is really bright if we if we prioritize them and therefore prioritize the climate crisis and the need to address it. Yeah, so we're going to prioritize our children by prioritizing the climate crisis, which even if you buy the UN panel's worst predictions, the temperature on the globe will go up, I don't know, three degrees in 100 years. 
You don't think we can figure out how to deal with a three-degree increase in 100 years? Now, one of the more interesting things this last week is Tulsi Gabbard, former uh, congresswoman from Hawaii, former presidential candidate, she announced she was leaving the Democratic Party. Here's some of the audio from that announcement. I can no longer remain in today's Democratic Party that's under the complete control of an elitist cabal of warmongers who are driven by cowardly wokeness who divide us by racializing every issue and stoking anti-white racism, who actively work to undermine our God-given freedoms that are enshrined in our Constitution, who are hostile to people of faith and spirituality, who demonize the police but protect criminals at the expense of law-abiding Americans, who believe in open borders, who weaponize the national security state to go after their political opponents, and above all, who are dragging us ever closer to nuclear war. Again, Tulsi Gabbard, former presidential candidate, the best performance she had in a debate was she basically wiped the floor with Vice President Kamala Harris. Um, so what does all that mean? Is Tulsi Gabbard the strongest voice on the left? No. Does that make her a Republican or a conservative? No. Does it mean we should have her run for office as a Republican? No. But what it does do is accurately capture some of the problems Democrats have. And President Biden isn't doing anything to address any of those. Uh, later in the show, we'll get to some of the issues around culture wars and what the Democrats are doing there and what their sort of activist groups are doing. And when you see what they're trying to do with their kids and sexualizing kids and all this LGBTQ and transgender stuff, you realize this is a party that is off the rails. It has no idea what it's doing economically or on the social front, which is why it deserves the beatdown it's going to receive in the midterm elections. All right. We come back on the weekend answer a ton to get to, including the January 6th committee subpoenas Trump and the Supreme Court decides to sit out the dispute over his presidential documents at Mar-a-Lago. We're coming right back. I can no longer remain in today's Democratic Party that's under the complete control of an elitist cabal of warmongers who are driven by cowardly wokeness. the show weekend answer show garrett fay jim ringheimer am 870 the answer am 590 the answer glad you're with us talking about the biggest stories of the week if you miss the show on the radio you can always catch a show on the podcast we are there for you talking about some stories involving former president donald trump he was in the news this week on a couple points none of them really great first of all the january 6th committee which was wrapping up this last week finally uh, accomplished a whole lot of nothing, but wrapping up this week, but its closing shot was it voted to subpoena President Trump to testify and to provide documents. The House Select Committee unanimously voted on Thursday to subpoena former President Trump, and the committee chose to hold this vote during its hearing on Thursday in their minds to put the move in the public record, even though they recognize Trump is unlikely to comply. Well, no kidding. You think Trump's going to go talk to those idiots after what they've done to him for the last six, seven, eight months? What's the win there for him? 
So what they can do is if he says, hey, go pound sand, the committee can decide if it wants to hold him in contempt of Congress and then get the DOJ to try and force him to show up. I don't think that's really going to happen. Um, I think this is more of a publicity stunt to try and say, hey, listen, we're going to try and get former President Trump to testify. If Trump was smart, he wouldn't testify because nothing good would come of that. Uh, and so they say uh, the chairman, Representative Benny Thompson, he's a Democrat from Mississippi. He said Trump is the one person at the center of the story of January 6th. So we want to hear from him. It's our obligation to seek Donald Trump's testimony, end quote. Now, if that's the case, why wouldn't you start with that? In most legal proceedings, you don't wait till the very end and hope you can get the big fish. You kind of go with them at the outset. I don't think they're going to try and do that. Um, And so, look, is this going to happen? I don't think so. Again, if Trump is smart, he's going to say no. He'll lawyer up, which he always does. And I'm sure he'll push back against that. But it kind of makes you ask a couple of questions. Number one, uh, do you think he would say anything more than what they've already had or already heard? I don't think so. Uh, Do you think the House is going to really have a win on this after the elections? And by that, I mean, Trump's probably not going to do anything before the midterms, a couple of weeks left. If Republicans win the House, this January 6th committee and everything it ever did is dead. So this is a dead letter. Uh, and no one thinks that Democrats are going to keep the House. So, again, this is a publicity stunt. There's no win here for the Democrats other than to try and point more you know, dirt at Trump, point the finger at him, throw mud at the wall and hope it sticks. Liz Cheney, the second Republican on the committee, she said that the panel may ultimately decide to make a series of referrals to the Justice Department. Um, again, that would be. If the, if the committee thinks it found enough evidence of wrongdoing, it can make referrals to the Department of Justice, which would then uh, investigate and possibly prosecute, maybe convene a grand jury. But I don't think that's going to happen. Um, and again, what, what's the Department of Justice going to do? If Trump decides he's going to run for president, are you really going to have the Department of Justice openly investigating or going after the next presidential candidate and former president? I don't really think so. All right. Another um, legal story involving President Trump came from the Supreme Court, um, where Trump had asked the Supreme Court to play a role in the Mar-a-Lago case. And the Supreme Court said on Thursday, no, we're not going to do that. Trump filed an emergency appeal relating to classified documents. He's basically asking the justices to overturn a lower court ruling and permit the special master, this is the third party, uh, other judge from another area, to review the roughly 100 documents with classified markings that were taken in the August 8th raid of Mar-a-Lago by the FBI. And so Trump basically said, hey, we want uh, the special master guy to review these. And because the court of appeal had said no, it said the Department of Justice can use access those documents. And the court of appeal decided with district court judge. And the Supreme Court said no. So what does this mean? Is the Supreme Court ultimately staying out of this? No. It just means that the Supreme Court was saying basically, no, not now. Trump can still pursue this later, but I don't think he's going to get anywhere on that. I think ultimately DOJ is going to get access to those 100 documents. And again, Trump has made no showing that he ever declassified those. Um, And so, look, is this going to matter long term? Probably not. Um, he was the president. He had access to this stuff. Should he had kept it? No. Do a lot of presidents keep former presidential records? Yes. Almost every administration on both sides has had some issue or some high-ranking official, not always the president, but some high-ranking official retains documents after the fact. I, get, I just don't think people care. I mean, this kind of falls under the I, whole January 6th thing. It's like, I don't think people care very much because, again, as, as we talked about last segment, Inflation is through the roof. The economy is on the brink of recession. So the last thing people are going to care about is, number one, 
what happened in 2020 and more uh, moreover you know what documents did trump take with him to his house in florida i mean what does this matter to anyone's daily life it doesn't matter at all but if you're a democrat you're msnbc this is all you can focus on all right another interesting story uh between president trump this is again not good news for trump so there had been a lawsuit filed by a writer who says that he raped her in the mid-1990s. The writer is E. Jean Carroll. She was a longtime advice columnist for Elle magazine, and she filed a lawsuit in 2019 alleging that he raped her, and he called her lawsuit a hoax and a lie. Well, this last week, a judge ordered that he must sit for deposition in this defamation lawsuit. Judge Lewis Kaplan in Manhattan rejected a request by Trump's lawyers to delay a deposition scheduled for October 19th in just a couple days. Um, again, in this lawsuit, Carol said Trump raped her in a dressing room of a Manhattan Bergdorf Goodman store in the mid-1990s. Trump called the lawsuit a complete con job. He said, quote, I don't know this woman, have no idea who she is, other than it seems she got a picture of me many years ago with her husband shaking my hand on a reception line at a celebrity charity event. Further, he said she completely made up a story that I met her at the doors of this crowded New York City department store and within minutes swooned her. It is a hoax and a lie, just like all the other hoaxes that have been played on me for the past seven years. And he complained. Now all I have to do is go through years more of legal nonsense in order to clear my name of her and her lawyer's phony tax on me. This can only happen to Trump. End quote. Again, Trump speaking in the third person. So. Not a great week for Trump. couple of things. Again, Supreme Court says, no, we're not going to help you in your fight over the documents. Uh, January 6th says we want to take your deposition. Unlike January 6th, in this case, Trump will have to give deposition testimony unless his lawyers appeal and the appellate court reverses course. I don't know. I mean, this might be mildly interesting to hear him uh, talk about this. Um, so what's going to happen here? Well, he may or may not have to do it. And again, there's other interesting issues here, including some privilege issues, uh, whether Trump was acting as a federal employee. So, again, not good news for Trump, more legal problems. But this kind of goes to a bigger issue of Trump in 2022 and midterms in 2024. So we talked last show about how Trump's political action committee is spending money in various Senate races to try and impact the outcome. Trump's not making an announcement on his 2024 plans now. But you look at like, what are the news headlines? So it's too soon to tell whether Trump's endorsements are going to pay off. But Trump really needs those endorsements and that PAC spending to help him because all of this is bad news. I don't care what you think about January 6th. The fact that they're still going after this guy is not good. And who is it not good for? It's not good in the eyes of, I think, independents, um, moderate Democrats, and even left-leaning Republicans who Republicans really need to win the midterms. And so I think what you're seeing is a lot of Republicans are distancing themselves from Trump as it leads to the midterms, I don't think you're going to hear much of anything from these people over the next couple of weeks. But again, after the midterm happens, then we'll see what Trump decides. Then we'll see how Republicans treat him. But it's no surprise that for the last couple of weeks out of House Republicans, you've heard nothing about Trump, not commenting on any of these stories. But again, because Trump is the most famous Republican in the GOP, still might run for president. These stories are newsworthy. All right, we come back. Got some local stories to get to, including a bunch of racism out of the L.A. City Council. Biden was in town this last week, and California is doing what? Banning plastic produce bags. That sounds important. We're coming right back.
Hey everyone, welcome back to the show, Weekend Answer Show. Garrett Faye, Jim Rickheimer, AM 870, AM 590. Don't forget the show is also on the podcast. Thanks to all our listeners out there. Appreciate hearing from you during the week and on social media. It's great to hear from you. Hope you're enjoying the show. Hope you and your families are doing safe. Hope you've survived COVID and its variants and monkeypox. I don't know anyone who got monkeypox. I'm sure someone somewhere got it, but I don't know anyone who got it, and I sure as hell didn't. Anyway, talking about some local stories, and we saw this last week, a whole lot of racism out of the L.A. City Council, specifically Nuri Martinez, who was the city council president. She had to resign from public office Wednesday after recording surfaced of her making racist remarks about black Angelinos, and also she made some racist remarks about the black son of a fellow councilman, Mike Bonin, and basically used a term that described his little black son as a monkey. Always nice. Um, And so what happened was she resigned. And what was interesting is the dynamic in the audio, which I'm not going to play, but I listened to, is basically you've got three members of the city council trying to figure out how they can maximize Latino political strength and dominate and basically figure out how they can carve up the districts to keep major landmarks like Staples Center, like you know, USC, like LAX in their districts, because with those landmarks comes money and influence and all that kind of stuff. And so basically you had a bunch of racism from these people. And again, these are all the groups that always accuse Republicans and white people of being racist. But you know, racism isn't cabined and consigned to white people. Everyone on the earth has the ability to be racist, no matter what political party, no matter what country you're in, no matter what your politics doesn't matter. Why? Because we've all got a little bit of screwed up sin in our hearts, and this is how it comes out with some people. Anyway, so what was the fallout? Well, the fallout was, you know, Mike Bonin gave some remarks and was basically crying, saying how upset he was. Um, Attorney General Rob Bonta said he would investigate L.A.'s redistricting process. Um, again, Nuri Martinez stepped down. The other representatives, Kevin DeLeon and Gil Cedillo, uh, did not resign, even though President Biden weighed in, interestingly, and called on them to resign. And um, the White House press secretary weighed in on this. And she basically said that, well, you know, when Democrats are racist, we call them out. But when MAGA people are racist, they promote them. JJ, clip number seven here. We should all step down. And here's the difference between Democrats and, and MAGA Republicans. When a Democrat says something racist or anti-Semitic, we would we we hold them. We hold Democrats accountable. When a MAGA Republican says something uh, racist and or anti-Semitic, they are embraced by cheering crowds and become celebrated and sought after endorsements. Yeah, that's basically defamation. I mean, this is clearly someone who has no clue what Jesse Jackson or Al Sharpton have been saying for the last 30 years and the racism coming from them. But again, this is the White House attempting to spin here, trying to always point the finger back at MAGA racism. Again, this is all part of the same thing. Whatever level Democrat you're in, uh, whatever office you hold, you always point back to President Trump because you think that's going to be the winner. Anyway, President Biden was in town. He went and bought some quesadillas in Westwood. The footage of that was just really, really uncomfortable. The guy is just so, so awkward. I mean, this is the guy who's married to uh, Jill Biden, who described, you know, Democrats as tacos. So anyway, I guess if you're from Delaware, there's not a lot of Hispanics there. Um, what else is happening in California? Well, can get to some propositions in a second, but two things are interesting. Number one, California bans plastic produce bags. So, you know, when you go to the produce section, you get the little bag. Well, SB 1046 signed by Governor Newsom, um, it's going to ban plastic bags. Stores must replace plastic bags 
with either paper bags or compostable bags. So let me get this straight. You go to the produce section where everything is wet or damp and you use a paper bag. So by the time you get to the checkout stand, your bag has fallen apart. Your produce has fallen on the ground. And now there's a big freaking mess everywhere. A good idea. California is the first state in the nation to outlaw the produce bags after banning single-use checkout bags from supermarkets, pharmacies, and convenience stores back in 2016. The ban is going to take effect January 1, 2025. Except for, except when California banned, quote, single-use bags, you know what they did? They charged us 10 cents to buy thicker plastic bags. This is the biggest con job in the world. They said, oh, you can't use thin plastic bags, but we'll let you buy thicker plastic bags. You know who loved that? The grocery stores. They buy those bags for one cents, one cent or two cents. They sell them for 10. That makes sense. What else is happening in California? Well, this is mildly interesting. Digital license plates are now legal in California. What, you ask? Yes, California drivers can now legally install a brand new piece of tech on their vehicle, digital license plates. Assembly Bill 984, authored by Assemblymember Lori Wilson, was signed by Governor Gavin Newsom last week. First of his kind pilot program established back in the state in 2018 and included 175,000 participants. Now, millions of licensed drivers can install the tech-savvy hardware. Okay, so the digital plate is created by a company called Reviver, utilizes an electronic ink-style display similar to an Amazon Kindle. So, you know, it's not going to show like movies or TV shows or interesting things like that, but it is going to be digital. I guess that's interesting. My question is, what about the prisoners? Everyone knows the convicts have been making license plates in California for 50 years. What are they going to do? So there's a battery-powered option or a hardwired version. I'm going with the hardwired version. But now let's get to some more interesting and consequential news, including the propositions. Governor Gavin Newsom weighed in this last week on some propositions that he thinks are important. Here's him on Proposition 1, dealing with abortion rights. AJ, clip 2. All across the country, healthcare clinics that provide abortions are being shut down by extreme Republican politicians. In state after state, fundamental freedoms are vanishing. Women are under attack. But this November, we say not here. Prop 1 will enshrine reproductive rights in the California Constitution. So clinics remain open, abortion remains legal, and California remains a freedom state forever. Yes on Prop 1. Now, that's interesting. A couple of things there. Let's start with the ending. He said California remains a freedom state. I think why he's doing that is people have started referring to Florida as the free state of Florida because Florida has been the most free and open state, especially in the COVID context. If anyone thinks California is the freedom state where you have high taxes on gas, property, income, where you have Overregulation of everything. You've got the California Air Resources Board, which regulates everyone to death. You have CEQA, which makes building impossible. And then we just talked about how we're going to ban plastic bags. California is the opposite of freedom. And what if you're a baby or a fetus? You think you're sensing a sense of freedom? I don't think so. Well, uh, AM870's Dennis Prager weighed in this last week. This is a little bit of a promo that's been running on this station. Here's Prager's response on Prop 1. While most of the propositions on November's ballot have to do with money, the most important one, Proposition 1, has to do with life. Proposition 1 would codify into California's Constitution late-term abortions. A full 70% of California voters believe human life begins at viability or conception. A no vote on Proposition 1 will keep the current limits in place. No abortions after viability, that's 24 weeks of pregnancy, and late-term abortions permitted only to protect the life and health of the mother. 
While most voters oppose taxpayer funding for abortions, Proposition 1 will potentially cost us hundreds of millions of dollars due to the number of abortion seekers from other states who will come to California. We believe every life in the womb or outside is a person made in God's image and therefore should be protected. Any law that undermines that protection should be opposed. We encourage you to register to vote, and between now and November 8th, vote no on Proposition 1. Yeah, so that's what Newsom's not telling you. He's not telling you how much it's going to cost, what it's going to do in terms of making California an outlier, both nationally and internationally. One of the things Newsom loves to talk about is how California is either the fifth or sixth largest economy in the world if it were separated out. Yet what he doesn't want to talk about is how California is an extreme outlier when it comes to things like abortion and even taxes. All right, we come back with some really interesting story on the culture war, including the ACLU sues a school district to prevent parents from making decisions over their kids' sexuality and a billion-dollar verdict against a popular talk show host. Don't change that dial. Welcome back to the show. This is the Weekend Answer Show. I'm Garrett Fay, and I'm normally with Jim Riggy Righeimer. Riggy is out, so I'm holding down the fort, but I miss that little guy. He'll be back next week talking about some culture war stories as they intersect with sexuality and the law, first starting in Pennsylvania. The American Civil Liberties Union, which used to stand for civil liberties and now is just a leftist outfit of a bunch of wackos, filed a lawsuit on October 6th followed a federal discrimination complaint with the Civil Rights Division of both the Department of Justice and the Department of Education, accusing the Central Bucks School District in Pennsylvania of engaging in illegal discrimination. It said the district has chronically failed to take reasonable and necessary measures to address persistent and severe bullying and harassment of LGBTQ students generally and gender nonconforming students in particular. What's going on here? Well, it's the ACLU has a problem with a proposed policy in the Central Bucks School District that would bar teachers from displaying gay pride flags in the classroom and a directive requiring staff members of the school to identify students only by their legal name and sex unless parents approve a change. ACLU also accused district leaders and their public-led school board of enacting blatantly discriminatory practices and policies targeting LGBTQ students. The complaint was filed on behalf of seven people. And what did the school board say in response? Well, the school board president, Dana Hunter, said the district is committed to every student and is resolute and united in its zero tolerance for discrimination. And the district's policies, she said, are designed to protect students. Now, what's going on here? Well, this is part of the nationwide debate over who really is in charge of students. Is it students, parents, is it administrators and teachers? Well, what's going on is those on the left are leading an insane, what they see as revolution, trying to undermine and usurp parental authority over kids. The same people who think that people as young as seven and eight are obviously not old enough to 
drive, buy a gun, buy alcohol, or serve in the military are somehow mature enough to understand the consequences of a sex change. This is insanity. But because if you're on the left and you don't care about parents, sexuality, traditional morality, or children, this is what you do. Now, this echoes what's happening in other states. In Virginia, the Department of Education released new guidelines last month in September requiring teachers to obtain written permission from parents before beginning to treat students as transgender. Other school districts, including in Iowa and Wisconsin, have faced lawsuits for helping students to socially transition to another gender without the parent's consent. The idea that a school would listen to a seven or eight-year-old who says, oh, I'm now the other sex, without telling the parent is insane. But this is what's going on. Because the ACLU, all they want to do is turn everyone into a gay activist. Now, what's going on in Virginia? We just mentioned one thing. Virginia Democratic delegate, so this member of the Virginia House of Delegates, Elizabeth Guzman, she's going to introduce a bill that would hold parents criminally liable for refusing to treat their children as a sex different from the one they are born into. She plans to introduce it in the upcoming legislative session. It would expand the definition of child abuse so that parents could be charged with a felony or misdemeanor for refusing to honor their child's request to be treated as the opposite sex. Again, children are children. As my wife would say, their frontal lobe is not developed. These are people who are not capable of deep thoughts and making lifelong decisions. This is what she said, quote, the child shares with those mandated reporters what they are going through. We're talking only about physical abuse or mental abuse. What the job of a mandated reporter is to inform child protective services. That's how everyone gets involved. There's also an investigation in place, but that's not only from a social worker, but there's also police investigation before we make the decision that there's going to be a CPS charge. Now, what's, what's she doing here? Again, we talked about how Virginia just passed the regulations requiring parental consent. Virginia Governor uh, Glenn Youngkin, who's done very well, who's fairly popular, his regulations empower parents to exercise control over whether and how children transition gender in school as well as a speech he gave at a Parents Matter rally back in the beginning of the school year. Basically, he's saying parents have the primary role. They're not just one of several involved constituencies. It's not up to uh, teachers. It's not up to administrators. It's up to parents. But again, not if you're a radical leftist, you think, oh, this is about you know people being able to do what they want. But again, these are minors. They have no idea what they're doing. These are people who often sniff glue and eat Tide Pods. Is someone who eats a Tide Pod sophisticated enough to choose what gender they're going to be and take, you know, hormones and have surgeries and wear, uh, you know, clothing that either hides or fakes a certain uh, sexual orifice? I don't think so. But this is where it's going. So what do you do if you're involved? If you're a parent? Well, you get involved and you raise hell. We saw an example of that this last week in San Diego, where one of the school districts down there was pushing this book that was basically porn, and the parents raised up and raised hell, and the school district backed down. So that's what you got to do. And if you don't do that, don't be surprised if this stuff happens at your school. All right, last thing we're talking about briefly here is there was a $1 billion damages award issued against um, Alex Jones of InfoWars. And people were trying to say, oh, this is a real, you know, hit against conservatives and free speech. But the thing about this guy is he's been lying for years about what happened at Sandy Hook Elementary School. He basically said that was fake. um, And he was saying a bunch of false things about it. And so he got sued for defamation. And so he's trying to say this is the death of free speech. This is not the death of free speech. 
um, as a law professor from Columbia says, um, you know, you can't do this. You can't just tell lies. But the bigger problem is going to be whether they enforce the judgment because he's probably going to collect bankruptcy. And experts say the Sandy Hook families face a long fight ahead as they try to collect the $965 million jury award from the Connecticut jury Wednesday and a separate $49 million judgment uh, from Texas jury in August. So what's this case about? Just to rewind, back in 2012 in Newtown, Connecticut, 26 people were killed by a gunman at Sandy Hook Elementary School. Alex Jones has a show called InfoWars, and he said the shooting was a hoax staged by actors and that no children died, and it was all an effort to increase gun control. Except for this is idiotic because students were shot and killed. So he was found liable by default in multiple defamation lawsuits after he and his lawyers were improperly withholding information. But there were these two trials, again, Texas first and Connecticut, to determine what the damages were to the families for lying about them. He faces a third trial in Texas brought by parents of a student killed in the shooting. But again, does he have $1 billion? Of course not. And so will he declare bankruptcy? Probably. But what is this message? The message here is you can't go lying about school shootings. This isn't about free speech. You're allowed to say free speech and say what you want. You just can't overtly lie about things. Now, he could always appeal, and I'm sure a court of appeal could find some reason to reverse this on technicality, perhaps. But for now, the message is don't lie about this. And again, if you lie about this stuff, don't don't be surprised if you get sued. All right, we come back on the weekend answer. We're going to wrap up the show with some good news about a longtime nonprofit organization reopened and doing a whole lot of good. We are coming right back. Welcome back to the show. This is the Weekend Answer Show, your weekend answer, your weekend source of news, politics, analysis, a little humor thrown in along the way. Garrett Fay, Jim Righeimer, Riggy's out. I am here finishing up the show. Hope you have a good weekend. Hope you're safe. The weather is turning. It's finally not as bloody hot anymore. It's like people always complain about global warming until it turns fall in California. It drops maybe 65 and you say, I could go for some global warming right now. Uh, we also are using the seat heaters on our cars because we're all wusses. Anyway, good news story. Talking to you about Mary's Kitchen in Orange. What's the good news here? Well, this is a nonprofit that's been serving homeless people for a long time. It used to be a food kitchen. It was forced to close because it had some legal issues. It was on city-owned property, and there were some issues with police calls. So the group had to close for a while. And good, the good news is this last week on Thursday, the nonprofit opened again. It's going to offer people food, laundry, mail, and gas services. It was kind of a supermarket, a laundromat, a post office, and a gas station. Okay. Um, it's going to serve tens of thousands of Orange County residents every year. Now, one drawback is Mary's Kitchen is no longer serving warm meals because they couldn't find a location with warm meals, but they no one, they couldn't get it. But it's going to operate as a food pantry, so it's taking food to people in need. They're going to help families who are in need of hopes, preventing people from becoming unhoused. They're going to try and help people find housing. If you want to help them out, 
you can help them out by going to maryskitchen.org maryskitchen.org they've been around since 1984 again they're doing a lot of good so if you want to go there go there figure out how you can make a donation how you can provide meals how you can provide gas food laundry i don't know maybe you can help do someone's laundry i'm kind of good at ironing maybe i'll iron some clothes for some people although maybe you don't want that maybe you just want to wash your clothes dry your clothes and get on with your life my wife hates ironing so i have to do all of it that's a whole separate story but anyway maryskitchen.org maryskitchen.org that's gonna do it for us in the weekend answer keep it here all week don't forget go register to vote go vote remember vote no on prop one we'll see you next weekend